All right, so we're going to get on with part six of a sermon series that we've been going through over the last few weeks. We started out this year with a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. Um, I, I came across this really, really interesting, um, well-written, I don't think it's by a believer, but it is a, a post on Facebook that was written a while back, and it was kind of reposted by different people, and I wanted us to start off with that. It's talking about the, the recent... Um, you know, trend with this word called self-care. And this is what it says. Self-care is often a very unbeautiful thing. It is making a spreadsheet of your debt and enforcing a morning routine and cooking yourself healthy meals and no longer just running from your problems and calling the distraction a solution. It is often doing the ugliest thing that you have to do, like sweat through another workout or tell a toxic friend you don't want to see them anymore or get a second job so you can have a savings account or figure out a way to accept yourself so you're not constantly exhausted from trying to be everything all the time. Self-care should not be something we resort to because we're so absolutely exhausted that we need some reprieve from our own relentless internal pressure. True self-care is not salt baths and chocolate cake. It is making the choice to build a life you don't need to regularly escape from. And that often takes doing the thing you least want to do. It often means looking your failures and disappointments square in the eye and re-strategizing. It is not satiating your immediate desires. It is letting go. It is choosing new. It is disappointing some people. It is making sacrifices for others. It is living a way that other people won't. So maybe you can live in a way that other people can't. If you find yourself having to regularly indulge in consumer self-care, it's because you're disconnected from actual self-care, which has very little to do with treating yourself and a whole lot to do with parenting yourself and making choices for your long-term wellness. It is no longer using your hectic and unreasonable life as justification for self-sabotage in the form of liquor and procrastination. It is learning how to stop trying to fix yourself and start trying to take care of yourself and maybe finding that taking care lovingly tends to a lot of the problems you are trying to fix in the first place. It is becoming the person you know you want and are meant to be. Someone who knows that salt baths and chocolate cake are ways to enjoy life and not escape from it. Are you feeling conviction yet? No? Amen. Let's close today's... No, okay. <laughs> That's all we need. I mean, I remember reading this and it kind of like diagnoses some things really well. It's not saying... It's not saying don't go on a vacation. It's not saying don't spend that extra, you know, 10 bucks. It doesn't mean don't do anything that is fun. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying it's very different to enjoy something in life as a form of enjoyment Instead of doing it as a form of escape from your life. And more often than not, especially in our generation where social media is so, so prevalent and you get to kind of take a peek at other people's lives and it looks so good. It always looks so good. It always looks so dreamy. Like, wow, everybody travels all year round. Wow. You know, 
Nobody works. Wow. Everybody looks like they're so in shape every day, no matter what they eat. Everybody goes to, you know, a five-star restaurant or like, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Everything looks so good on social media. And often we make the wrong correlation that this is what life is supposed to be. And when life doesn't measure up to that, we begin to shape our lives in such a way that is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. And so we tend to confuse both Christians and non-Christians alike. We confuse self-indulgence, self-medication, and escapism for long-term solutions. So we look at self-indulgence, self-medication, and escapism for long, as, as long-term solutions. But what this is trying to say, it's not, you know, don't take a break and don't spend any money. It's not saying that. It does mean, though, that we need to begin to take responsibility for our own lives in a way that sets us up on a trajectory of growth, health, and character. Many of us that moved out of our parents' home, for example, if you moved out of your parents' home when you were in college, you very quickly realize that if nobody's parenting you, you need to start doing it on your own. So for example, as, as freshmen in college, especially when you go to America, when, when I went to college, uh, in America, straight out of Chile and I was there on my own and nobody was telling me to sleep at a certain time. Nobody was telling me to eat certain foods. Like I very quickly degraded into like, I just eat when I want what I want. If it means 4am pizza delivered to your dorm, then you do that. Um, it means, you know, barely make it to your classes and you're half awake and you're downing, you know, venti coffees and, you know, like you, you're barely on sustenance mode at that point. And I quickly realized that that is not sustainable. That is not healthy. And just because my parents aren't there to police, you know, everything that I do, it doesn't mean that I shouldn't take care of myself. And so for many of us, uh, that first step into freedom and free agency where you have to now take care of yourself. No one is going to make sure that you eat some vegetables this week. You know, <laughs> no one's going to do that this week, hopefully more than a week, you know, once a week Did I eat my vegetable for the week. Yes, I did. Okay. Move on with life. So nobody's there to do that for you. You have to realize very quickly that unless you begin to take care of yourself, no one else will. And so this happens for every area in our life. Um, just in the recent few years, I began to realize that my body is not the same as it was just 10 years ago. And I was so surprised. I was like, the rules don't apply to me, I guess. You know, I can eat what I want. I can do whatever I want. I don't need to sleep really. And I guess this is life for me for the rest, you know, of my life. And I thought it would never catch up to me. And I very quickly did. And now I have many regrets. So this applies to your life in every different, in, in all these different aspects. But if we were to translate this over to our spiritual walk, our spiritual journey, our spiritual growth, health, and character. This also means that we need to begin to take responsibility for our own spiritual walk as well. And this is why we've been emphasizing so much at the beginning of this year, the importance of spiritual disciplines. Now, how we apply this is I'm not going to be policing everybody. Like, is, is, are, are you praying? You know, are you up to date in your Bible reading? Have you fasted this year? Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I shouldn't be my job. But if the, the, uh, the role of a pastor and a house church leader and a church, if we're doing our job right, then we should be setting everybody up in a trajectory for spiritual growth. 
It means that there's certain things that will need to be in place, certain habits that will need to be there in place. And it's not going to come automatically. It's not going to be fun every day. Who here woke up every single day in the last month and change of the year 2020, eager to pray unto the Lord and to read his word? Like all however many days, like 20, 30 some days that we've had of the year. No. No one, right? No one did that every day. And it's because our flesh is very strong. And these are habits that will take time to build. And so wherever you are in this journey, my encouragement is to use just keep at it. It's worth it. Also, we're only one month in. So <laughs> we're not even, you know, we're not even at March, you know, like if we lose even March, it's one thing, but we're just, it's just February right now. So to recap what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. We started the first week talking about what are spiritual disciplines. And we don't want to frame it in a way where it's we're earning our salvation. Like if we do all these spiritual disciplines, God's going to give us an extra pat in the back. Like God's going to give us a cookie or a star. We're not earning God's favor. They have it. We already have. We, ha- we need to start there. Otherwise, these become these to-do lists and these, I want to earn his favor. I want to earn my righteousness. It quickly degrades to that. So we need to know that we start already in a place of favor. And these are invitations into closer relationship with him. It's an open door that God has swung wide open. And he says, come closer, get to know me, get to know my word, get to spend time with me. And it should be something that is life-giving. It should be something that builds up your relationship with him. The second week in this year, we talked about the reading of the word. We can't really get to know God with just our own ideas. Other, we're going to start making up a God of our own. We thankfully, thankfully have this wonderful gift called the word of God, the Bible, where we don't have to take a stab at who God is, but he shows himself. He reveals himself to us through his word. The third week, we talked about the importance of rest. We need, especially in Korea, we need to stop once in a while, hopefully more than just, you know, a few seconds a day. We need to stop once in a while and let go of some things and commune with the Lord. And in biblical language, it's called Sabbath, rejoicing and delighting in the Lord. So that's what rest was. Then the fourth week, we talked about the importance of intercession. So praying from a place of boldness, knowing that we've been given full access into the throne of glory, and we can't let that go to waste. We can't just be like, great, I'm a Christian, and now I'm just waiting to die and hopefully go to heaven one day. We have been given a task, a mission, and also an honor and a privilege to partner with God. And so that's why we intercede. The next week, we talked about... uh, practicing God's presence. This was last week where we took an extended time of worship and we simply dialed down and we asked the Lord, remind us, teach us how to commune with you once again. We took a time simply just to connect with him. And today we're going to be talking about not second to last. What is the, the one before second to last third to last? Is there such thing? Anyway, third to last topic. And it is the topic of fasting everybody's intern like inward grow like oh i came on the wrong week uh, i should have come next week um we're gonna be talking about fasting um fasting it's not supposed to be easy but it's not supposed to be as hard as we make it out to be honestly 
half the drama is just in our heads. We're like, if I don't eat this burger right now, I'm going to die. No, you're not. You're not going to die. You'll be okay. Um, and so we're going to be talking about fasting, but freeing up your Bibles, a place of an invitation to draw closer to God. So I'm going to ask everybody to open up your Bibles, whether you have the, your physical Bible with you or your smartphones. We encourage everyone uh, to bring a physical Bible if possible. Um, We're going to open up to Luke 5. Luke 5. Luke 5, and we're going to, we're going to look through verses 33 to 39. 33 to 39. And I'll just be reading from the NIV. And it says, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wine skin. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Amen. So before you close your Bible or put your finger on it, um, right before this passage, I want you to take a quick look at what happens right before. What leads us into this conversation? It is the Pharisees and the teachers asking Jesus, why on earth are you associating yourself with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know what kind of people they are? Don't you know that they're bad company? Don't you know the kind of past they've lived, the kind of present they live right now? You should know better than to spend time with them. And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come to call the righteous. Uh, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then that that's when they say, well, now that you're talking about righteous and unrighteous and people who need a doctor and people who don't need a doctor, we've noticed that your disciples are gluttons and drunkards, and they don't seem to be doing the fasting that they should be doing. And so If we were to measure our righteousness levels, we're obviously doing a whole lot better than the people that you're hanging out with. So, you know, they're trying to put Jesus in his place. They're saying, oh, yeah, Mr. Righteous. Well, you want to talk about righteousness? You don't fast. Your people don't fast. How come they're not fasting? Fasting was a very important ritual that signified how devoted you were to God. And it was a symbol and a, and a sign in the outward appearance that you were humbling yourself before God. So the irony of boasting that you fast when fasting, it's like, oh, I'm so humble. You know, it's like saying that in a boastful way, right? That's what it equates to. And Jesus gives this really mysterious kind of parable about what we're talking about here. 
he's saying that there's an old way of fasting and an old way to relating with God. And that is signified by like an old garment, an old wineskin. But there's something new that is happening here right now. And it's going to be a new garment. It's going to be a new wineskin. And you can't combine the two. They're non-compatible. You cannot combine the two. If you try to take something from the old and bring it into the new, it's going to ruin everything. If you take something from the new and try to bring it into the old, it's going to ruin everything. They're not compatible. We're, we're stepping into something completely new in our ability to relate to God. And he's talking about the new covenant. So up until Jesus came, we were on our own in terms of, man, we have to work our way into being accepted by God. That's why there's all these rituals and all these cleansing things. And, you know, they have to do these things at a certain time of the year and they have to fast in this way. And they have to do all these rituals in order to be accepted by God. And now in the new covenant, we're seeing no matter what you do, even if you were to fast your entire life, you would not be able to earn your acceptance by God. And now we're entering into a new covenant where what Jesus, what someone else has done on our behalf is the one thing that will win our acceptance to God. And now when we have this new covenant, this new way of relating with God, and you're trying to bring your religious duty into this, it's going to spill the wine. It's going to tear the cloth. These things are not compatible. And so he's talking about, you're going to fast, yes, but out of a completely different motive now. And so if I were to rewind back to verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And something about the bridegroom's absence will make them fast. In those days, they will fast. He's talking about people that remained with him for three years. They saw him day in and day out. They ate together. They hung out together. They did ministry together. They did everything together. These people are now with me right now. It's not the time to fast. It is a time to rejoice and be with me. But there will be a time when I am taking a back step. I'll be taken away. And in that day, they're going to fast because of my absence. Does that make a little bit of sense? That means that we as New Testament believers are given not the obligation, but the opportunity to step into fasting simply out of longing for him. There should be an emptiness in us. There should be a longing in us that will never be satisfied until we see Jesus again. Can you imagine like you're really, really tight with somebody? Uh, let me use an example. So we have our brother James is here and he's most of the year he's away from most of the year he's away with his family. And when he's away from his family, there's a longing in him. He's not just chilling there being like, well, one day we'll see each other again. No, he's like. Until we come back together, until we're reunited, there's going to be a longing in me and things are not going to be okay until we are together again. In the same way, when we relate with Christ, when we relate with God, there should be something in us that yearns for that reunion again. There should be something in us that's dissatisfied, 
wholly dissatisfied with his absence. It means that something in us yearns and longs for his return. And because of that, we're led to a place of fasting. Not because we're trying to earn our righteousness, but because we simply long for him. Have you seen somebody who goes through grieving? That's not the time where you're going to see them like deep, deep, like life shattering grieving. That's not the time where they like go out to McDonald's and like binge, right? Or actually some, (laughs) that's, that's a time where like, you don't need to tell them to, to not eat. They won't want to eat. They are so consumed by the absence of somebody or the loss of something that, that even if you wanted to force them to eat, they just won't. You've seen people go through that, right? You've seen people go through crisis in their lives where I don't know how your makeup is, but my makeup is usually like there's, there's a level of stress where I stress eat. And so there's, there's a certain threshold, like from here to here, I will stress eat. And I just told this to somebody like a couple of days ago, I have levels of stress eating. I have M&M's level. I have Twix level, I have Oreos level, and so progressively, depending on what I'm snacking on, you'll, you'll, okay, okay, well, she's at, she's only at M&M level, okay, so, so we still have a bit of cushion. So I have certain levels, but then I hit a certain threshold when it goes beyond that. And when you don't see me eating, you should pray for me, because <laughs> that's when I've reached a certain threshold. And that means that something is seriously wrong. And I think I've only done that like a couple of times in my life where I've gone through such great personal crisis that I've not wanted to eat. And so it is the same when it comes to a spiritual walk. There should be such a longing for Christ. There should be such a longing and a a sense of grieving about his absence that we are led to faster in things in order to seek some other things as well. This is the invitation that Christ gave to the disciples. And this is also an invitation that is given to us as well. Now, when I was thinking about how to preach on fasting, how do you go about this in a way that, you know, we've heard messages on on fasting. It's not like we don't know the ins and outs. It's very basic. You just don't eat, you know, it's very straightforward. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. You just, you know, you just fast and it doesn't take a whole lot of mechanics behind it. There's not a whole lot that I could say that could you know, encourage you to try it out if you've never tried it before. But what I felt the Lord putting on my spirit as I was preparing for today is that we need to talk about appetite. We need to talk about appetite. So when we think about, uh, okay, no, (laughs) whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Some of you are making the wrong connections. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Whoa. Only in Korea. My goodness. Wow. Anyway, (laughs) we need to talk about, okay, different. (laughs) Wow, guys. (laughs) Okay, we're talking about feeding our appetite in different aspects. When we think about who we are as people, we're not just body. We're not just thoughts. We're also spirit as well. And what we decide to feed is what will grow. What we decide to feed is what will grow. What we decide to starve is what will shrink. So we think about our lives. This is probably what many of us look like, right? We overindulge, overfeed 
our flesh, whatever flesh wants, what, what, you, what you're hungry for, what you feel like doing right now, what you're craving in the moment, what you feel like watching, what you feel like doing with your extra time, how you feel like spending your money. All these things, if they're catered towards simply satisfying the appetites of the flesh, which aren't all bad, but they're still flesh, it means that you're feeding one side, but you're starving another. And every time that you choose to feed something that will be nourishing to your spirit, look and you're choosing to starve one side and you're choosing to feed the other. And if we were to look and take inventory of our lives and we were to think about, okay, how do I distribute what, what I'm listening to, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, what I decide to do with my leisure time, what my conversations revolve around. When you think about all those things, and if you were to take inventory of your life, you'd very quickly realize the majority of our lives are catered and they are wrapped around our fleshly desires. And that is even more so in our generation, even more so in our generation where whatever you want, you can have it. Like, for example, if after service today, I was like, you know what? Today, I feel like having North Korean and that's what I wanted. I could Google, I mean, not Google, I could neighbor that and I could have it. I could have whatever I want, basically. I could maybe even have it delivered if I wanted to. You know, there's so much in our modern day that is wrapped around satisfying our fleshly desires that it doesn't take very much. It just takes unintentionality for us to find ourselves there. So it's not like we're evil and conniving. We're like, how can I starve my spirit? And how can I feed my flesh? We're not there thinking about these things, but the way that the world is shaped around us, the way that the culture is shaped around us, the way that business is shaped around us, it is shaped to create certain appetites within us that we now constantly need to feed. And as we're doing that, we begin to starve another side of us. And that is the spirit. So fasting is about appetite. It's not about, okay, I have to start hating food, for example. That's not what it means. It simply means if you love food this much, I want to love something else a bit more. So it doesn't mean deny your flesh, you know, don't eat ever. And eating is terrible. That's not what it's talking about. It's acknowledging that we do have needs. We do have cravings. We do have appetites in the flesh, but if we were to desire and we were to create an appetite for something else that is even greater than that, then we would begin to set off that balance. Does that make sense? So it doesn't mean stop craving these things. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, stop enjoying the good things of life. It simply means how about we begin to hunger for something different, even more. So it's about creating an appetite to be fed in the spirit. This is what um, a minister by the name of Mike Bickle says regarding fasting. He says, I believe that the Lord is calling us right now to shift out of the common mode of Christianity, uh, Christian ministry into a spiritually violent lifestyle of fasting and prayer. The message of voluntary weakness through prayer and fasting is an offensive message to the church. Most ministries end up believing the lie that there's more power found by bypassing the weakness of prayer and fasting and engaging in frenetic activity 
rather than taking the road less traveled and pouring our time through prayer and fasting into the presence of God. Too often, they measure in the here and now. But in the big picture of church history, it's clear that when people have persistently chosen to pray and fast, God has always proved true by releasing a greater dimension of his power. It may take years, sometimes even entire lifetimes, but it happens without exception. It happens without exception. This will test where we believe the power and the strength comes from. It really does. Have you ever tried fasting and you're just trying to do it by sheer willpower? (laughs) It doesn't go very well. I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the suspense. It doesn't go very well. And in the same way, here, like trying to build a church, trying to build your spiritual walk. If you're doing it just by mere, like sheer willpower, then you're going to quickly realize that there's very, very great limits to that. And you're never fully going to tap into what God is able to do until you start inviting him in into those areas of your life. If there's anything that you're praying into that you're longing to see God answer. We have, you know, so many people in our community right now, perhaps going through transition, perhaps going through, you know, a restructuring of their lives. Perhaps you're new here and you're trying to pray into like, God, why have you called me here? Why here? Why now? Let me just, you know, put it out there. Try fasting. It doesn't need to be a 40 day water fast. And it doesn't need to be like that. It could just simply be like, okay, today I'm going to skip lunch and I'm going to spend the time praying and we'll see how God answers something as simple as that. Now, no, don't do like, I'm going to skip afternoon snack, you know, <laughs> or, or like it has to cost you something, right? Or like, if you never had breakfast, you're like, okay, I'm going to fast breakfast. That doesn't count. Okay. So it needs to cost you something. But the important thing is that you're laying something aside to address a bigger need and a greater need. So we're going to talk about very quickly, four different aspects of fasting. The first is seeking. Seeking. The word describes different instances of fasting in this way. In Matthew, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In Ezra, it says, So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. Second Chronicles, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land over and over in the Bible. We see instances of broken human beings, just like you and I, people who have limits, people who don't have all the answers. They're going to reach and hit a wall where they cannot resolve this thing that they're facing on their own. And they're going to begin to call upon the Lord. And this is an act, not just of going hungry. This is an act of turning from their normal lives, turning towards the Lord and begin to seek him in an active way way. So that is the first aspect of fasting. It's not mere abstinence. If all you do is go hungry, then all you're doing is dieting. That's all you're doing. You're not fasting. You need, there needs to be an aspect of seeking. I'm going to take something out and I'm going to fill it with something else. I'm not feeding on, you know, I'm not feasting on food right now. I'm going to feast on his word right now, or I'm not going to 
I'm, I'm going to deprive myself of this. I'm going to you know, fast from Netflix right now. Then that's that time that I would have spent in Netflix. Then I'm going to pray instead. And that's what fasting looks like. It's not just abstinence of something. It's not just taking something out, but some putting something in, in that place. And it's an aspect of seeking. The second aspect is humility. Humility. All over the Bible, these mighty men and women of God, and especially in the Old Testament, you see very rarely will it say that, like the word actual fast. They will say it in, in the language of, and they humbled themselves before their God. Humbling themselves before their God. So all over the Bible, we see instances of this. In Psalm, it's in Psalm 35, it says, I humbled myself with fasting. All over the book of Daniel, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. So there's an aspect of grieving, of repentance, and of humility before the Lord. The next chapter, it says, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and have come because of your words. So this is as a result of him humbling himself before the Lord. The third aspect that we need to touch on is consecration. Consecration is simply a setting apart for a sacred purpose, a setting apart for a sacred purpose. We see in the book of Joshua chapter three, and it reads, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. This was before battle. Can you imagine fasting before a battle, like when your physical strength is most needed. And yet they saw the wisdom in needing to be set uh, in, in order, uh, in order for them to be set apart before the Lord and humbling themselves. They realized that more than eating and regaining our physical energy, what we need right now is spiritual and nothing in the physical realm is going to answer our, our need for victory in this upcoming battle. It needs to be the hand of the Lord. And so they humbled themselves before the God, before their God. They consecrated themselves and set themselves apart and sought the Lord in this way. Oh, and so uh, under that is a very quick um, description of consecration, a setting apart for a sacred purpose. For there is an aspect of setting apart a defined time. It is for a, time, for a defined time for the express purpose of seeking God. It is limited. It is for a set purpose and it is wholehearted and disruptive. You shouldn't be able to just go through your everyday routine when you're fasting. It should be disruptive in some way or form. The focus wasn't on what they were abstaining from, but what the Lord was about to do. And lastly, we can't talk about fasting without talking about the fourth aspect, and that is simply that there's power in fasting. This is one of those really, really mysterious things about the Bible, where for some reason or another, humbling yourself before your God and fasting, prayer, and seeking him, it unleashes the power of God. And it's just all over the Bible. I wish I could tell you exactly why. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just there. And, and God doesn't seem like 
he needs to explain himself. He just honors fasting. And he sees that as an entry point to intervene in a supernatural way. And so in Matthew 17, we see this instance where the disciples were unable to cast out this demon. So we're talking about healing and deliverance here. And I don't know what they were trying to do. Honestly, they might have been doing the right thing, saying the right things, putting their faith in the right things. Who knows? But then Jesus answers, you know, after he casts out this demon, he answers, uh, he answers their question of why didn't it work for us? He says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. I can't explain that to you. I don't know why. It just is. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't say, okay, when you fast, then, you know, like, like the hunger pangs and the, you know, like the, the extra, like, you know, stomach acid. It does something, you know, he doesn't say any of that. He just says, there's certain things that require prayer and fasting. And you try to do it in your own strength. You try to do it with the resources that you currently have right now. It's not going to work. And he's just very upfront about it. It's going to be times when you're going to have to invite the Lord in a more consecrated, more fixed, deliberate way. And that is through fasting. It says that there's certain things that cannot just be dealt by you trying to counsel it away, trying to explain it away, seeing if things will get resolved on their own. It's through prayer and fasting. And that's just the way it is. Second, when we see, when we go back to the, um, when we go back to the narrative of Daniel, there's something we're given a quick glimpse at what is happening actually in the supernatural realm. It says the prince of Persia, this is an angel speaking, by the way, the prince of Persia, so a, a, a spirit withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests came to help me for I was left there with the Kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is uh, and, and I came to make you understand what is about to happen to your people in the latter days. So this is what happened. Daniel began to fast and seek the Lord for 21 days. For 21 days, nothing happened. And he's like, what in the world? I thought you were supposed to intervene. Like, what in the world? And 21 days later, this angel shows up and he's like, actually, from the first day you started fasting, it moved something in the heavenlies. Angels were deployed. There was a heavenly war going on. While you were praying, while you were there and sitting in your room, going hungry, thinking nothing's happening, there's something definitely happening in the heavenlies from the first day. It wasn't like, hey, let's wait till day five and then maybe. No. First day, day one. And something was happening for all 21 days, whether he knew it or not. Through his prayer and through his fasting, something very real was happening in the spiritual realm. And that was mobilized through the power of prayer and fasting. And I love that we get to see a glimpse of that because often when we think about our spiritual walk, we think it's like pretty straightforward and mechanical. Like I, I, I sow this, I'm going to get this. If I do this, then I'm going to get that. And it's very straightforward, but we don't take in a major factor. And that's when God intervenes, things completely change. And when we give God an opening, when we give him an entry point into our lives through prayer and fasting, God is able to do something in 21 days that you couldn't have done in 21 years. And so when we see all these different examples all throughout the Bible of people fasting and seeking the Lord, consecrating themselves before the Lord, humbling themselves before the Lord, we see the destiny not just of people changing. We see the destiny of nations changing as well. We see judgment being deterred because of prayer and fasting and humbling themselves before the Lord. We see individuals like being spared of their lives 
because they prayed and fasted. Like people who were like, you know, God was like, you're going to die. And they're like, no, Lord. And they prayed and fasted and God gave them 20 more years. That happens. That happened in the Bible. So all over the Bible, we see these instances of God acting on behalf of those who seek him, who consecrate themselves, who humble themselves before the Lord, and they fast and pray. And again, there's much mystery there. It doesn't mean that every time you fast and pray, God's going to answer in exactly the way that you think he will. There's still mystery there involved. If it was that easy, we fast all the time, right? If it was that easy, but it's going to require faith. It's going to require relationship with the Lord and it's going to require trust. Like, Lord, you see my heart right now. You see what I'm going through right now. God, I'm going to take the next, you know, doesn't need to be 21 days. I'm going to take the next three days and I'm going to fast this one thing. And I'm going to ask you, God, just give me clarity regarding this. God, give me strength regarding this. God, remind me of the promises regarding this. And you're going to see God beginning to move in your life. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that God has given us, this gift of fasting. It's like he's just so eager to answer his people. He's like, all it takes is just fast and pray. Just fast, just fast and pray and seek me. I want to answer. I want to release clarity. I want to release breakthrough in your life. And you're given this beautiful gift called, called prayer and fasting. And so it's not never supposed to be like, ah, I guess I have to fast and pray again. Ah, why is life so difficult? No, it shouldn't be like that. It should be like, okay, I've tried everything in my power. You know, with this one thing that I just can't seem to find an answer for. How about I turn to the Lord? How about I call him on his word? I call his bluff, you know, and see if he will answer. And that's such a great invitation where we're not, we don't need to be defenseless and powerless when we hit that wall. We're given this beautiful gift and this opening, this opportunity, an invitation called prayer and fasting. It sounds very easy, right? When I say it that way, but we need to talk about certain um, myths. First myth, it's only for the super Christian. Only those who are called to full-time ministry or going on a mission life. I just, I mean, only for them. I live a very ordinary life and I don't need fasting in my life. I just, I'm going to do, this is like the JV, like I'm, I'm JV, you know, status. I need to do all the rock star stuff. I, I just, I, I'm going to stay in my humble level. No, it's for every Christian. It's even for any age, you know, I've seen kids fast and pray and it is the most powerful thing to see. And also the most empowering thing for them to experience as well, where it's not like, wait till you get older and then you can actually seek the Lord. No, they're they're being taught. Like you actually have the same Holy spirit living in you. You don't have Holy spirit junior yet. The Holy spirit living in you, you know, that same Holy spirit living in you. And you have the same access to the father. You can still fast. You can still pray. And it is all glorious and delightful unto the Lord. And so it's not like it only counts when you've had a certain age. Like even kids can do that as well. Any age, any life stage, it doesn't necessarily even need to be food. It can be anything else, anything that detracts from your attention in our day and age. Fasting media sometimes is even more effective. You know, just try that just like for three days and And then we can have a conversation. You'll realize very quickly how much time you have, 
like very, very quickly, you'll realize how much idle time we spend on our phones and, you know, aimlessly, you know, going through funny videos of whatnot, you know, like, it's like, it's so addictive and it was engineered that way, right? It was engineered that, that way to be addictive. But as soon as we start to fast and pray certain things, we realize that we're given access, not only when we reach a certain level, it's for every Christian. Jesus didn't say, okay, like, okay, disciples, listen up. This is the inside scoop. If you want to become a really super Christian, then like you should try fasting. He never said any of that. He said, if he, he didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast, he was already assuming that they would fast. So it's not like, it's not like they were, they were saying like, should we fast? Should we not? He was like, no, no. Okay. So when you fast, this is how you need to do it. And you talk about, it. you don't do it in front of man. You don't do it for the praise of man. You do it before the Lord. And so he never says, if you fast, he says, when you fast. The second myth is that it is impractical for the modern day Christian. I live a very busy life, Lord. You should understand. Um, I have so much on my plate. I have all these things to do today. There's just no way that I can do it. That is a bold-faced lie. That is a lie. (sighs) Okay, how to even... Okay. Out of all the generations that have lived on this earth, which generation would you say is the most sedentary, most convenience surrounded, like where I'm not in trouble of like, I'm not running the risk of being invaded by, you know, some kind of army like the next day where I don't need to go out into, you know, my, my garden and make sure that like, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what you do in a garden. <laughs> See, that's how far removed we are, right? I barely move. You know? If we move anywhere, it's like, oh, I'm getting to the train, you know, or I'm getting into a bus, you know? It's not like I'm there, you know, like sowing seeds in the ground and then like digging up potatoes and like, I don't know, maybe you guys are, but I'm not. I'm not doing that every day. We are the most sedentary, most, you know, physically most comfortable generation that ever lived this planet. Ever. Ever. And for us to say, well, if somebody in the 13th century, you know, took a break from, uh, you know, I don't know. Digging up carrots from their garden and they actually took time to pray and fast. If they can do it, you most surely can do it. Again, you're not going to die. Like you're not going to die. The human being can actually survive. Um, I believe they said 40 some days without food and water and what after that you die. So like that, they've tried that. And after that you die. So 40 days without food, that's definitely doable. So people, people do that, but without water as well. Okay. Don't try that ever. Uh, unless the Lord like really specifically talks to you about that, but actually the human, like, like you die, you die. And the reason why I know this is because I researched fasting and it is not unique to Christianity. You guys know that, right? The people who fast the most, unfortunately it's not Christians. It's Muslims. Yes, it's Muslims. And, you know, they, they, they fast, you know, to, for, for, um, for religious purposes. There's people who do it for health purposes, health benefits, like detox or like, Hey, I have a surgery sometime tomorrow. And they told me not to eat or you have an endoscopy or whatever. You're able to go without food. It's not as like crazy as you think it is. It's like, 
you won't die. It's, it's a lot more manageable than we, than we think it is. Sometimes this fear of fasting is much greater than the actual task of fasting. It's like we make it this monster, like, oh my gosh, I need to be super prayed up, super ready. And like, I need to have, you know, told my entire family and everybody's going to be contending for me. And now I'm ready. (sighs) Okay, here I go. And I'm not going to eat for this breakfast. You know, that's not how it needs to be. You know, it's actually a lot more manageable, a lot more doable than we often make it out to be. And so... If we say it is very impractical for the modern day Christian, that's a lie. That's a myth. It is very attainable. And people do it for much lesser reasons than connecting with the Lord. Much lesser reasons. And so for us to think like it's like this crazy, crazy thing that only crazy people do. And it's not practical for me. No, actually going without a meal or two might be even beneficial, you know, let alone, you know, practical it might be even beneficial. And so for us to think that, ah, it's just too impractical. I just cannot do it. Um, that's usually more in our minds. Now, if you have certain, I don't want to, you know, minimize the, the different situation that we might all be in. Um, if there's certain circumstances that are special circumstances where you cannot fast for a given reason, then you can fast something else. It doesn't necessarily need to be food. So for example, for anybody doing a fast, I don't, you know, I don't recommend it for anybody who's like, you know, pregnant or nursing, for example. No. If you have a history with an eating disorder, like you should be very, very careful with that as well. If you're diabetic, you know, very careful with that as well. Hypoglycemic, very careful as well. Um, so all these different things, yeah, you, maybe you should take it slow. Take it one step at a time. Don't be like, okay, for the next 40 days, I'm going to fast food. Um, you don't need to do that. Just like start with like, I'm going to do three days. Three days of liquid fast, three days of Daniel fast, three days of media fast, something perhaps small that's very attainable, and then you can start building up from there. Um, The third and last myth. (laughs) I've heard this. (laughs) That's such bogus. It's not a gift I do not. It is a gift I do not possess. Like, I wish I could fast. Let me tell you. Oh man, it's just, you know, some people are gifted with it. Some people aren't. I'm just one of those people who are not gifted with it. I'm sorry. You know, it's not easy for anybody to fast. It's not going to come natural to anybody. Okay. Some people do have, you know, propensities that might make it a little bit easier. For example, like really fast metabolism people, uh, it, it affects them a lot, you know, when they don't, when they go without a meal. If you are, you know, hooked on caffeine, unfortunately, that makes it really, really hard. Hooked on sugar, really, really hard to fast. Um, but to say that, ah, oh, man, I wish I could, but I just can't. It's not the gift that God has given me. God has given the food, the, 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 the gift of food, a gift of eating and enjoying, and it's just not my gift. That is, yeah, that is bogus. Um, it's, it's a grace that is given to all of us, an opportunity given to all of us, and it's never going to be easy for anyone. So, um, it might be different measures of difficulty, maybe different levels of difficulty, but for us to think, oh, there's certain people who just like, you know, they snap, you know, they're just fasting. There they go again. There they go again. Another 21 days, you know, another 40 days. That's not how it works. You know, it's different sacrifice. It's going to be our sacrifice. That's why it is fasting. You know, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be disruptive. And I promise you, if you ever do, you know, fast, you're going to very quickly see how much the enemy hates it as well. Very, very quickly. So I'm going to close with this. And this is very 
quick practical steps for anybody who wants to try fasting. All right. First practical step is pray into it. Just because I said you, you should try fasting doesn't mean, you know, you should just do it right away. You need to fast in, I mean, pray into it. Ask the Lord, is this something that you want me to do right now? Like, when should I do it? How should I go about it? You know, pray into it. It's not just because somebody else tells you to do that. You should do it. You should seek the Lord regarding it. There's going to be seasons. I've gone through seasons where God says, okay, now it's the time to fast. You should just do it. And there's a grace for it. There's other seasons where he's not telling me that. And I'm like, ah, I haven't fasted in a long time. So I'm going to fast right now. And it is brutal. Like it's so hard because the grace of the Lord is not with you for that. It's just flesh trying to, you know, trying to fast. Um, so pray into it, pray into it, feel the leading of the Lord more often than not. He'll give you a bit of indication when, how, um, what all of that. So pray into it. If you, uh, some, some of you might be making a mental note of like, uh, I shouldn't pray into it because if I do, then he's going to say yes. And I don't want to. So don't think about it that way. Just pray into it. Sometimes you'll say no, not right now is not the time, uh, pray into it, you know, and, and ask the Lord for confirmation for that. Second, very important practical step is commit to fasting before the Lord. It's not before man. It's not before your mom or your, your house church. It is before the Lord. It is before the Lord. So there's a passage, you know, in, in Matthew where it talks about when you fast, this is how you ought to do it. It's not like when it talks about don't do it in front of men. Don't, don't let people see that you're fasting. Um, but do it, you know, in the secret place, do it in the hidden place and, you know, put oil on your head and, and fresh clothes and don't look like you're like, ah, I'm fasting. It's so difficult and miserable. So the whole point, it isn't like it needs to be a secret and that's the only way that it counts. I've seen some Christians, you know, be like, uh, you know, try to say they're fasting without actually saying they're fasting and it just makes it really awkward. Like, Hey, can are you free to go out for dinner or something? Like it, let's, let's catch a meal together. And they're like, ah, oh, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't, um, yeah, maybe in 21 days, you know, like they'll say something like, you're like, is everything okay? <laughs> They could just say like, Hey, I'm fasting. Is it okay if we, you know, I do some of the time or is it okay if you eat and I'll just sit there and it's okay. You know, like it doesn't need to be like a secret and that's the only way I didn't rob them of their reward just because I found out that they're fasting. That passage in Matthew just simply means when you do it, don't do it for the, for the, um, out of arrogance and don't do it for somebody else's affirmation. You're just simply doing it before the Lord. That's all it means. It doesn't mean like nobody's going to know that I'm fasting the next 40 days. Like, you know, my, my, my cheeks are going to sink in and, you know, people are going to get worried, but like, I'm not going to tell them I'm fasting. Otherwise I'll lose all my rewards. That's not what it means. It means simply do it before the Lord and a quick, you know, a quick, um, practical step as well. Don't just, you know, say like, okay, I will do it from certain date until a certain date. Also, you know, set down in paper somewhere, um, like how you're going to go about it. You know, if, if it means like, Hey, I'm going to limit my, you know, media intake, or I'm going to, you know, fast lunches, you know, for the next week or something like that. It's good to write it down because you're not going to want to do it once you start. And that's a given. That's a given. Once you start doing it, um, it's going to get, you know, hard because unless you've committed yourself before the Lord and how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, what you're going to do, um, I promise you there's going to be, um, 
you know, if you're fasting, for example, you're doing Daniel fast, all of a sudden somebody's going to be like, you know, we haven't caught up in a while. Let's go have all you can eat Brazilian barbecue tomorrow on me. And you're like, oh, I just started Daniel fast. You know, it's going to happen. Or like, you know, just when you start fasting, um, you know, somebody's going to be like, you know what? I never treated you for your birthday. Why don't we do that tomorrow? And all of a sudden, all these offers that never come are all going to come all at once, you know, and it's going to be really hard and, and it's going to be tested. Um, so number one, just expect that, expect that it's going to happen. People that have never pay, wanted to pay for anything, like they're going to want to pay, you know, people who are like, Oh, I just thought of, you know, bake these cookies. <laughs> You're going to be like, Oh, thank you. You know, it's going to happen. And there's going to be like invitations and like different things that are going to come up that it's, it's going to intrude on that fast that you've already consecrated yourself to. It's going to happen. So you just, you can't be surprised when it happens. You need to be ready for it. You know, what, what I tend to do when, when I'm fasting is like, I, I want to fast certain things, but I don't want to fast people. Like I actually still want to meet with people. So I want to be social. I, that's not what I'm fasting. I'm fasting something else. And so what I'll say is like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to take a, you know, a juice with me. Like, is it okay if I just watch you chew while you eat that? <laughs> and we'll still have a conversation, you know? And some friends will be like, oh, heck no, I'm not doing that. But other people will be like, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't about the food anyway. Let's just, you know, talk and, and I'll eat and whatever. And it doesn't need to be a huge deal. It doesn't need to be a huge deal. Um, so yes. Commit to fasting before the Lord, how you're doing it, when you're doing it, uh, what you're going to be fasting as well. And also what you're going to be doing in that time that you are fasting. Third, very easy. If the clicker will help me. Just do it. Just, there's nothing to it. Like sometimes we're like, okay, it's, it's, it's going to start. Oh my gosh, here we go. I need to hear a voice from the Lord. And you know, I need confirmation. Like, just, just do it. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. Um, just set yourself to do it, consecrate before the Lord, you know, and just do it. And there's nothing much to it. You just need encouragement at times. You know, if you need accountability as well, that's always good. And then last is thank God for it as well. It's really sad if you uh, do a fast and then like towards the end, you're like, oh, I can't wait for that first bite of a burger, you know, and that's all you're thinking the last three days. Like, that's sad because, you know, it'd be, it'd be you know, that kind of defeats the purpose. You know, you're there to connect with the Lord and you're like, I can't wait to unconnect with you. You know, <laughs> it's like saying that, you know, <laughs> like, oh, it's been a terrible last however many days you've been doing it. So just thank God it's a gift and it's a really sweet. It's a temporary time where you set aside to seek the Lord. There's a sweetness to it. There's an intimacy that comes from it. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's harder. But every time God will honor it. Every time God will honor it, whether it be in the way that you think you will, or whether it be years down the road, whether it be through someone else, like who knows how God is going to answer. But every time God honors it, when we seek him in this way. So hopefully this makes it very, um, very straightforward and very attainable for us. It's not, again, I have to repeat this over and over again. It's not for a certain kind of Christian. It's not just for the super Christian. It is available to any Jesus believing person who wants to seek the Lord last year at the end of last year, we did our first corporate fast for first time in a long time. We did a 21 day fast 
And I was so blessed and so encouraged by the different testimonies that came out of it. So we did from November 1st until November 21st. And different people gave up different things for those 21 days. Some people did media. Some people did, you know, juice or, you know, food or Daniel fast. There's so many different ways in which people engage in it. But uh, the, the breakthroughs that we heard about all throughout the 21 days, it was pretty incredible. Um, and if, if any of us participated in that, at the very least, what we experienced was a tenderizing of our hearts. At the very least, like there was a sensitivity towards the Holy Spirit that hadn't been there before. And it does something. It heightens our spiritual senses. It makes us so tender and so pliable before the Lord uh, when we fast and when we seek him in this way. And there's, it, there's so much power. We went through it together um, as a church. Um, and I believe that a lot of what we experienced, even at the retreat that we had on the 22nd day, like after we broke fast, um, a lot of the breakthrough that came through that, a lot of the blessing that we received through that, it was because we had positioned ourselves for 21 days, humbling ourselves before the Lord, consecrating ourselves before the Lord, um, and giving him an entry point in that way. And I believe that, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, we're going to fast starting next week. We're not, we're not, yeah, unless the Lord is on it, we're not going to do it collectively together, but I'm just going to encourage you. Don't wait for the next corporate fast. Just try it out. In fact, the one challenge that I will give to you just within the next month. So whenever is most convenient, um, I'm just going to challenge you with this. Skip one meal, one important meal. Okay. Now again, important meal, one important meal and just seek the Lord during that time. So for example, it's in the middle of the day and it's a lunch, just fast at lunch. And then during that hour, just sit before the Lord and be like, God, this is not for any reason other than I just want to draw close to you. Like I, I want to experience greater spiritual hunger. I want to see you more like present and manifest in my life. I just want to draw close to you and see if he doesn't answer. Like he loves it when we draw close in this way. And he sees the sacrifice, he sees inconvenience, he sees all of that, and he honors it. And it's a gift that we're given. If we were helpless before the Lord, and, and you know, just what we get is what we get, then that would be one thing. But we're given an opportunity to draw as close to the Lord as we want to. And if we just stay back and just wait for something to happen in our lives, um, we might be forfeiting and opportunity that God has given us to draw close to him.